I am so thankful for all of you that are hearing this teaching, whether it's in person or you're watching online or listening uh, through the podcast uh, means. And I hardly ever do this. But I'm going to ask if you did not hear the first lesson in this short series, you would go back and hear my teaching last weekend. It was called Follow Me. I'm calling the series Follow Ship. And last weekend I said, I want you to stop being a Christian and start following Jesus. That we live in a culture now where you can be Christian and you do not have to radically follow Jesus. Christian means anything or everything you want it to mean, which means today it means nothing. And Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian. But he invited everyone to follow him. And we talked about what that means. And we said it is the mission of this church to make and grow followers of Jesus. Now, that's non-negotiable. That's the mission of every church. Now, it is the intentional strategy of this particular church to try to make and grow followers through worship and community and service. And that's what I want to talk about today and the next two weekends. I call worship follow-up. Community is follow around and services follow through. And I don't think the next two teachings are going to be hard to establish in terms of their importance. I think I can show you pretty easily from Scripture that Jesus lived in community. That he called disciples to community. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to do it alone, but with other people. I think I can show you rather easily that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow around and you're going to follow through. But do you need to follow up to be like Jesus? Do you have to be a worshiper to be like Jesus? And what complicates the question is that Jesus himself was the object of worship. And we know none of us should attempt or want to be that. But when we look at the life of the very first followers, especially in Acts 2, The people that knew him best, who heard him most. They didn't have a New Testament to read. The only thing they knew about this new life was what they saw and learned from Jesus. And what we see is that they were consistent and fervent worshipers. They were devoted to prayer with each other. They were getting together all the time to break bread and have communion. They were going to the temple daily and praising God publicly. Worship was very, very important to the first followers. I'm not so sure it's as important now. I relate to the story of the boy who asked his daddy, What's the highest number you ever counted to? 
And the father said, I have no idea. What's the highest number you ever counted to? And the little boy said, 5,372. And the father said, why'd you stop there? And the boy said, because church was over. (laughs) And I relate to that boy, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But first, I want to tell you why I think it matters to follow up. One reason is because every person is fundamentally a worshiper. See, worship is not a religious activity. Worship is a human activity. Every culture and every life centers itself around something that is transforming. Every person needs a God. And every person has one. And so right now, you are pouring yourself out for something or someone in an attempt to find meaning for your life, in an attempt to find your identity. And you are being changed by that which you pursue and give your allegiance to. Now, God knows this, by the way, so does his enemy. And so Satan is doing all he can to distract and to detour your worship of God. He said to Jesus, I'll give you every kingdom of the world if you just worship me. He calls the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. And all the world falls down and worships the beast. Because Satan knows you can't be like God if you don't worship God. You've heard a lot about the worship wars. I'm here to tell you the worship wars will always exist. I'm not talking about old songs versus new songs. I'm talking about the battle that goes on in every heart, every day. For who will get my allegiance? Because you see, every problem is ultimately a worship problem. Understand that worship does not fill up some insufficiency in the Godhead. It's not like God feels empty and says, I hope I get some worship today to fill me up. God does not need our worship. Now, He deserves it. He doesn't need it. You need it. Because you are being transformed by whatever you seek first. So remember when God calls the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, and he takes them out to the desert, and he gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. And often we interpret the commandments as restrictions. They were anything but. They had been slaves. God is showing them how to embrace and enjoy freedom so that they can have the life they were meant to have. And the very first thing you must understand about the life God wants for you is this. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not bow down to them or worship them. The very first thing you've got to get right if you want the life God wants you to have is the worship question. Because God knows we tend to drift toward putting the wrong things in his place. In fact, in a sense, every other commandment is simply a warning not to violate the first commandment because God knows you are tempted to let your work become your God. And so the fourth commandment says, honor the Sabbath 
Don't try to find significance and identity in a career. And God knows how bitterness and resentment can take over a life. And so the sixth commandment says, don't kill, don't hate, don't let your enemy become your God. Don't let sex become your God. It's a gift to celebrate the marriage covenant. Let it be that. And don't try to make it more. And God knows we are so inclined to try to make things give us worth. So he says, don't steal. Don't covet. Don't let stuff become your God. Do you see what I mean when I say every problem is ultimately a worship problem? In its essence, sin is putting anything or anyone in the place only God deserves. And that's why follow-up matters, because it's the place where I am reminded and recommitted to keeping God in the right place. And so all through the Bible, there's this special follow-up invitation. There's this word that appears in the Old and the New Testament. It's a wonderful word. It's the word... Hallelujah. It comes from two Hebrew words. Halal means praise, and Yah is short for Yahweh, God. So, hallelujah. Scripture keeps saying, keep God in the right place. Give your praise to God. And, and ha- praise is not even strong enough. The word really means to boast, to, to brag, to laud. When you go to a sporting event to see your favorite team and they come out on the court or the field and you cheer and and you go public and you're blatant, you are declaring your allegiance. And that's what the word really means. And that's why I think the dominant worship expression in Scripture is celebration. It's not the only worship expression. But primarily, when you come before God to remember who He is and what He has done, joy should explode in your heart. There are other forms of expression and lament, and we practice those here, but we don't apologize. The primary worship culture we want at this church is celebration. We want to get together and enjoy God. We want this to be a place where he is exuberantly exalted. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, just don't go too far. You can't go too far in enjoying God. Just read Revelation. Most of us struggle with the other extreme. I did. I was not a worshiper. I related to that boy because when I was young, I did not enjoy church. I endured church. I counted the tiles in the ceiling, the panels on the wall, and the cracks in the floor to survive. Most of you know I'm an introvert. I'm not a big hugger. I'm not a real touchy-feely person. 
I come by it honestly. I am the son and the grandson of accountants. Do you know why accountants wear gray suits? To add a little color to an otherwise drab existence. (laughs) And we are left brain people. And so I approached God with my mind. I gave myself to the pursuit of the knowledge of and the understanding of the deep things of God. In my early years as a preacher, I'm not proud of this, but I'm just being honest. While all of you were singing, I was on the front row looking over the notes of my sermon. And then I entered my 30s. And a long season of spiritual dryness. And I couldn't, for the first time, study my way out of it. I couldn't look up another Greek word. I couldn't read another systematic theology. And finally, God broke through. And said to me, you've always loved me with your mind. When are you going to engage me with your heart? God was calling me to worship him. It was a journey. And I'm not going to pretend it was easy. But it was wonderful. You see, for years, I was not obeying Hebrews 13, verse 15. That through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I was offering God the fruit of my thoughts. And by the way, I've always offered God the fruit of my hands. I have been a tither since my first check when I was 14 years old. But I had not offered God the fruit of Of my lips that openly profess his name. And so God started me on a journey where I began to shape a new place in my life for worship. And what happened was that worship began to shape me. I learned that worship helps us stay tuned. Because we are inundated in our culture with a lot of seductive stories. Trying to tell us who we are and calling for our allegiance. Worship, when we gather, when we sing praise, when we take communion, when we watch someone confess and be baptized. Worship re-immerses us into our particular story. And it's a very good story of a good and gracious God who spoke all things into existence. And when sin marred all that he had created, he didn't turn his back, but he became flesh in the form of his son. He lived a sinless life. He took my place on the cross. He conquered death 
gained victory over the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He is returning, and everything in all creation is headed toward a consummation where all will acknowledge his lordship. It's a very, very good story. And I need to remember it because most days my struggle is not to wake up and want to be irreligious. It is to give most of my time and effort to the irrelevant. And worship keeps me from following fake kingdoms. A few of you are old enough to remember the Great Depression. And in every great city across America, movie houses, more like palaces were built, like the Paramount Theater in Seattle. Today you go to the movie and the entryway is just a place to get Coke and popcorn. But then these palaces had world-class art and tapestry and expensive furniture and plush surroundings and uniformed workers and they called you out of a difficult hard world for 27 cents which was a lot of money you could enter a world of beauty a world that promised hope now it was a short-lived world it was illusory but there was something about that that was so appealing it still is And when we gather together, we are reminded there is a better world. And it's real. It's not fake. It's not temporary. It's a world of beauty. It's a world of hope. It's a world of grace. And we need to stay tuned in to that world. Jesus did. Jesus stayed tuned in to the will of God through intentional, personal And corporate worship. In fact, every time he had a major decision about the direction of his life, he would worship God. He would stay all night in prayer before he selected disciples. He would get up early in the morning to pray to decide where he should go and preach next. And when he faced the greatest challenge of his life, he went to a garden and he got on his knees and he sought communion with his God. And Jesus was a corporate worshiper. Look at this verse with me. Luke 4, 16 says that he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus went to church every week. And by the way, this is just my speculation, but I don't think he was late. I could be wrong about that. But I'm just thinking that nobody ever went to the rabbi and said, Have you seen Jesus? I've got him down to read scripture today. Oh, he usually gets here between the third song. I just don't think that happened. Worship was a priority to Jesus. And so he didn't find time. He made time to be refocused and renewed. And you need to, because if you don't, the this is so important of every day will squeeze out the this is so imperative of God. And so I have a friend that preaches in another city. 
And there's a sweet old couple there. She's battling Alzheimer's in her last days. Her old husband's very tired from taking care of her around the clock. But he makes a point every Sunday to get help so that he can go to church. And my preaching friend approached him and said, I know this is hard for you. Would it be easier if you just stayed home and we had someone bring you communion? He said, oh, please don't. I need to come and shake some Christian hands. Because every day, as he watches them become a little less, he needs to be reminded that they are actually on their way to becoming more than they have ever been. You see, worship helps keep us strong. Life is hard. And trials are inevitable. But despair is optional. And through the centuries, the people of God have found worship saps the spirit of cynicism and hopelessness of its power. So David is being chased by Saul, running for his life, and he gets inside a cave and says, bring me something to write on. And he composes worship songs. And they take Paul and Silas and they beat them and then throw them in a pit so foul it would turn your stomach. And they sing praise songs till past midnight. Worship does that for us. It strengthens us. And I think it's because it quickens our experience of the presence of God. Now, I know God is everywhere, but specifically His manifest presence, Scripture says, is in the environment of praise. The psalmist says He sits enthroned on the praises of Israel. In Revelation 4, He's on the throne and around Him constantly is praise of His holiness and of His worthiness. God makes His home in the midst of praise. And through praise, we invite God to make his home with us. And you've had that experience. You didn't even want to come to church. You didn't feel like it. And you came and somehow you connected with God in a way that you needed. Remember in the Old Testament, Solomon's dedicating the temple, the house of God. The question is, how do you get God to move in? So they have a praise concert. He gets the band out, he gets the choir out, the harper starts strumming, and the, the percussioners start banging the cymbals, and the trumpeters start blowing, and the choir starts singing, great is God, his love endures forever. And it says the Spirit of God descended, and the presence of God was so heavy in his house, the priests couldn't even do their work. Now, what's God's temple today? Well, I know that my body is a temple of God, but we are the temple of God. Paul said in Ephesians 2, In Him the whole buildings joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together. Now watch, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Remember Paul says you should be able to go to a church in the presence of the Lord and a visitor walks in and says, God's here. Three chapters later, 
Paul says, do not be drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to one another. With psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And through praise, we invite God into the middle of our muddle. And think about this. If God loves to live in praise, then who would hate it? You see, I think worship is warfare. James says, you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Anytime you seek and get closer to God, you push the devil out. When you exalt God, you expel the enemy. That's why I love to preach after we've worshipped. I think worship literally cleanses your hearts and your minds of all the junk the enemy tried to sow in there in the previous week so that you can hear the word of the Lord. Now, this next illustration I read in a magazine, if it's wrong, don't write and tell me. But this article said that there's thousands of kinds of animals in the world that sing. But almost all of them either live in trees or in the water. Whales, dolphins, bats, birds. There's something about the security that provided by the tree canopy or the water that makes animals feel safe. Because what happens when you sing? You announce your presence, not just to your allies, but to your enemies. You don't sing unless you feel safe. And I love the thought that when we get together and we start to praise God, we're announcing to the angels, we're announcing to the elders around the throne, we're announcing to all the hosts of hell, here we are, we're praising God, and devil, what are you going to do about it? I like that. You see, when I follow up, I am built up. And by the way, so was Jesus. There's this little verse in Matthew we don't typically notice. Jesus is about to face the greatest test any person ever has or will face. And before he went to the garden, it says, When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The last thing Jesus did before he went to the test is worship with his disciples. The mission is to make and grow followers. And you can't do that without follow-up. And I have come to appreciate, because I've got been able to travel the world, all the wonderful Different ways people can express praise to God. And God has delivered me from the arrogance and the condescension that says the way that I like to worship is the best way. If you were here Tuesday night for our night of worship, you saw some exuberant praise. I didn't know worship could be aerobic. And I thoroughly enjoyed the joy with which people were praising God. But I could go across the street to that wonderful rest home. And I could sit in a room with 80-year-old people holding little blue books, singing 200-year-old songs with tears in their eyes. And I could absolutely enjoy the joy they have in praising God. 
So I'm going to embarrass some sweet people. But last Sunday at this service, I was sitting on the second row. And right in front of me were four precious young girls. They're about 10 to 12 years old. Brindley and Caroline and Abby and Shelby. And they didn't know I was watching. But the whole time we were praising the Lord, they were just sitting there singing their hearts out, holding up their hands. And I got so fired up watching them enjoy God. You people are lucky I didn't preach for four hours. (laughs) Think about it. If the worship of the gathered body of Christ didn't matter, then why does the enemy everywhere he can around the world try to stop it and ban it and outlaw it? Follow up grows followers. And I implore you to be intentional personally, and corporately. Hallel Yah is a wonderful call, but it needs one thing. You know what it needs? It needs you. You make the hallelujah complete. And I know some days you just don't feel like it. But worship is too important to only do when you feel like it. There are days where you just will and you offer God your surrendered will because He's worthy and because it's right. The hallelujah needs you. My best friend is Chris Seidman. Some years ago, he walked with me the hard journey of watching my mother face and eventually die of cancer now it's my turn to walk with him his mom Sheila is battling a very aggressive form of uterine cancer she went through an extremely difficult round of chemotherapy all last year they were hoping it would knock it out Chris noticed because his mom loves to worship God that she'd be at church holding up her hands with tears in her eyes. He thought it was tears of joy. He didn't know it was pain. It was excruciatingly painful to hold up her hands. And so they investigated. The cancer's come back. There was a vicious tumor in her spine that had literally crushed a vertebrae. And so recently they had a very difficult surgery and she told her son before I'm worried that that after my surgery I won't be able to hold up my hands to the Lord anymore they performed the operation they took Sheila to ICU the next day she's laying in bed and she asked someone to turn on her phone to her playlist of worship songs and Chris sent me this picture The song was, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Do you remember the last verse? And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise unending. 
10,000 years and then forevermore. This is the heart of a follower. So, Father, I ask now that you prepare each heart who has heard this teaching to receive whatever they need. Maybe it is a conviction or even a rebuke. Maybe it is an encouragement or a challenge. But whatever it is we need to receive, I pray we will have the humility to do so now. Well up in us, God, the passion to enjoy you alone and with your people for the sake and for the glory and for the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like you all to stand. There are going to be prayer teams down front they want to pray with you they want to counsel with you they want to talk about your burden and your walk with God they want to receive your confession if you're ready to be baptized into the name of Jesus and as you come together you're going to be encouraged by the people of God as they bless the Lord